0: The most powerful person in the world is the one who has the ability to transform his enemy into his friend. Now, these were the powerful, inspiring words that greeted me in the opening pages of David Gerby's book, Making Peace with Gaddafi. But in actual fact, these words originate in the holy Jewish scripture of the Torah. Now, I met David Gerby in 2007 when he was on tour in South Africa, and he decided to visit us in our studios in Johannesburg. He is a Jewish refugee, an author, and a psychologist. He also wrote three other books, Peace Building, How to Build Peace, and Refugee. And he is my guest today on my show, Give Peace a Chance. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of my online campaign. Thank you so much for joining us. David, buongiorno, welcome. Great to have you on the show, finally, after 13 years.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much for inviting me. I'm very moved because we didn't meet since uh, 13 years ago.
0: And we didn't know we were scheduled to actually have this very important discussion. So it just goes to show how impactful your story was because I read it a couple of times and it moved me. It moved me greatly and like you always say, the Jewish exodus that took place following the 1967 Arab-Israeli war is a forgotten part of modern Jewish history. But I think its it would be correct to say it's a forgotten part of modern history. It's a story that's not as popular as the conflict itself. We hear so little about it. So it was really, you know, it, your, your book served me and I'm sure it served others as well because you drew attention to the Exodus and also sharing your own personal journey and what you experienced in Libya was just as important. So perhaps you can just, for the sake of clarity, give us some historical background on what led to the Jewish Exodus that started in 1967.
1: First of all, the the Jew that uh, lived in uh, North Africa and the Middle East country. Those are the people that uh, they came out uh, exactly in the, t- the third century BC. So when the destruction of the temple happened, so, so they go all around North Africa. So in fact that they were Jewish in uh, Morocco, in Tunisia, in Algeria, in Egypt, in Libya, all those countries. And also they went to Afghanistan, they went to Iraq, they went to Iran, so all those country, they call it the Jewish from uh, uh, Mizrahim, Mizrahim. So this means that come from that area or North Africa. So those people, there were about 850,000 Jew at the time when it happened, the final Exodus. The problem started uh, during the era. Uh, actually, it was uh, other uh, Jewish that they came from uh, the, the exit from Spain when there's been out from, Kiev, from Queen Isabel in 1492. So there are many of those that went to, from Spain to Gibraltar, to Malta, to Tunisia. My last name is Jerby because it's come from the Isle of Jerba in Tunisia. Often uh, the Jewish has been taking the name, the last name of the place where they lived. Before the time of the Torah, you wouldn't have any last name. It would be like, my name is David and my father name is uh, Shalom. May he rest in peace. I, they would say, David, the son of Shalom. There is no last name. So they start to take last name in, uh, in, uh, in different place. So they came also from Spain. And after happen the problem with the Holocaust in certain country the, the, the Nazi arrived there and persecute the Jew. And in uh, in uh, following the construction of 48, of the independence of the sta- State of Israel, started much more riots and persecuted the Jew because of what's happening because the Arab League were disagree with the birth of the Israel nation. Mm-hmm. So this is when it started very strong and from there, There were more in uh, 48, then in 56, and then in 67. So this is how the final Exodus arrived.
0: So did the trouble start for you uh, as a Jewish Libyan in 48 or 67? Because I know it reached a peak after the 67 war.
1: For me, I was born in 1955. So I was not there yet, but it started in 1967. Excuse me for
0: here. that, sure. But your family was already in Libya, David.
1: Yes, yes. And so my grandparents, my grandfather, my grandmother, my uncles from my father's side, they all left. And they established in Ashkelon in Israel, where they are buried. And another part of the family from my mother's side also left with an organization. It's called Aliat Anwar. When you had a large family, so you would take uh, two or three of the children and uh, you. So I had the two uncles that they went establishing in Israel, Clement and Avram, that they now are there. One is dead, rest in peace, and one is alive. <clears throat> so this is how it went. But this is an example of how many other Jewish did. After this, many decided to leave and to leave everything even without selling, Mm -hmm. nothing.
0: Sure. David, so you were born in Libya in 1955. What was your days like, early days growing up in Libya? Because from what I read in your book, there were happy days. There was coexistence between the Christian, Jewish, and Muslim communities in Libya at the time um, when you were growing up?
1: Yes, uh, I have a, a good memory because I was impressed by the fact I was a child. So for me, it was a kind of fun to go at school only four days a week because we had the Friday was day of rest of the Muslim. So we'd see all the Muslim going to pray in the morning at the mosque, and they listen to every time I was listening, five times they pray, five times a day. So I it was fascinating to listen to this voice of uh, the muazin. Allah, Akbar So this is, gave me a nice sense of, uh, of peace. I didn't know the difference yet. As a child, uh, I liked to, to listen to this sound.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: then uh, on Saturday, I would go and listen to the sound of the prayer, it was all about listening the sa- and the looking I was looking at everybody with the butler Libya nice uh, Libyan traditional clothing to go to the mosque uh, well dressed and in Saturday everybody would be the Jewish would be like in Jewish traditional clothing uh, well dressed and would go and pray and I would listen to this different song and different lo- liturgy and uh, then we would not go to school we just go to the synagogue and the Friday, it was the time where you prepare the food because uh, it arrived the Shabbat.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: the Sunday <clears throat> it was another nice day because it was the day of the Christian. So the people with the Italian, very elegant, would go to the cathedral. Then unfortunately, now became a mosque and they not, did not keep it. And I would see, would listen the song of the bell. Don't don't. So this would mean it's time to come to pray, wake up. So for me, it was about looking and listening. So and I I felt in those three days uh, it was a special atmosphere, it's a special peace, a special harmony. So it was now it's time for God. So everybody was going and everybody was respecting each other. Just a uh, not uh, tolerating, it was about accepting each other. So it was like respecting, because it's a monotheistic religion. So the three religion, the religion of the book, they were all accepted. So when it was that we need to remember that uh, Libya was an Italian colony. So it was much more appreciated. And uh, we study Italian, we study Arab language, we study of course Hebrew, we had the American base we study also English. So it was a place of many culture. In fact, the Tripoli where I born, it's, it's means three polis, three city in Greek. So this is uh, the translation. So this is, was like a, a very open, also it was in, in front of the sea. So the port, so many people come and go. It was a nice atmosphere. We have, I had my, the, how you call it, like the, the government of the house, the caretaker of the children. She was a, a Libyan Muslim, and she was a, a dark skin, and I love her. She was a mute woman, and she I grew up with her, so for me, it was no difference. It was like, until a certain age, when you start to see uh, danger, because they tell you be careful! Don't talk with those. Be careful because they could kidnap. They could have a sexual abuse with the little child or with the little uh, girl. So <clears throat> then you start to realize that can be danger because this would be like a revenge from many things related to all uh, to most. Uh, for the fact that there was not accepted uh, the creation of the state of Israel, say so they, they would do anything in order to humiliate, to reject. So this was the dark side, but the light side it was the coexistence. So they, we would have a nice. Uh, my father would sell to Italian, American, uh, Libyan, Muslim, Christian, uh, anyone. So it would be a very nice uh, atmosphere.
0: Mm-hmm sounds like you had a beautiful childhood and uh, when i was reading your book i could actually smell the cooking your mom's cooking in the kitchen because you were so descriptive when when it came to preparing for shabbat i could see you happily going to your yes. father's shop and sitting in your father's shop and i could feel your your you know your 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 carefree uh, spirit as a child come through in that book so you captured the essence of the peaceful coexistence that once um, yep. was a reality in Libya quite accurately. W- when you say the dark, you know, the dark, a, there was a dark side and the dark days came, you're referring to very dark days. You're referring to an extreme situation, not just uh, a disagreement over the realization of the creation of the Jewish state of Israel. But <clears throat> if, if I read, you know, some of your, from your, some of your extracts, you say, that, you know, following the 1967 war, the Arab-Israeli war that took place, there was a deep tension between the Muslim and um, Jewish community in Libya. The Egyptian radio incited violence, to quote you, uh, an enraged mass took to the streets in search of Jews and one can only imagine what was going through your mind and you know you know what was going through the minds of jewish families and, and you know how scared you must have been this is intense and um, they started targeting your community you wrote that houses were burned jewish families were killed in this violent foot of anger it's, it's it's not normal in a democratic country this is not what happens in a democratic country and also i suppose take us back to the time in libya it was a tumultuous political time in Libya. It was two years, it was also two years before Muammar Gaddafi took over in that bloodless coup. So you had King Idris as the monarch. What was King Idris like? And if you could just maybe describe to us what happened and how this whole situation reached such a climax that it resulted in violence and the killing of Jewish families.
1: So King Idris uh, with us, he was a, a good a good king, like a king of Morocco with the Jewish of Morocco. A, a difference uh, during the Nazi time the king of Marosso of Morocco protected the Jew. Say so those are our mm-hmm. people like the in Denmark the saints protected the Jew. There are certain countries that they oppose for the deportation and the killing. So the King Idris at that time he tried to protect us but was not strong enough so he said that he could not guarantee anymore our security. So because of the riot of 48 and 56 uh, the people thought that maybe it was just a transition moment. So we would go and then come back when everything would be calm. I think that what's happened, uh, there is a research that they did, that I give you a metaphor about this: uh, the coexistence between the normal people like your neighbor, that is uh, your neighbor that is really a friend, and the place where you go to buy bread or milk or anything at the time it was everything was near. So those are the people that you live with them every day. So there is a research that they did that they took um, black, black ant and uh, I don't know if you know this research, black ants and uh, red ants, they Put them in a container. OK, and they stay quiet but uh, the moment they took and they start to shake them, they move it strongly. By doing this, they start to kill each other. So this is a, a metaphor to say who, is the, the, who are the invisible hand who inject prejudice, hate, hate speech and the encouragement to kill and to burn. At the time, who moved this was uh, Nasser of Egypt, who through the radio, I remember the radio encouraged to kill the Jew. And so we were close. Like now I have a window in front of me. Everything was closed. I could see it in front of my window burning the house because the strategy was how you do kill the Jew. You put uh, some gasoline on the entrance of the building so it start to become suffocating. You could not breathe anymore so the people would go out and once you're out uh, you would be killed. So and it was like a mass uh, that you could not control mm. so it was a very very difficult. War. It was the war it was started in 5th of June 67. So at that time, everybody was living in terror. So they, they opened shop, they took things. So with the only way to save our life, so King Idris said, okay, we ask uh, to, to leave. So I say, okay, but uh, they gave us only 20 pounds to leave with the, with the luggage. So this it was with the hope of coming back. Some of them uh, within those two years came back uh, and try to sell the property. I still have the documentation I can show you of our property that is, and that we were considered Dimi citizen after the Islamic came. So we were considered Dimi. It means a second class citizen. So those are the documents. I don't know if, it's, if you can see. Mm-hmm. It's clear.
0: Yeah, it's clear. I can see it.
1: Yeah, so those are the document of the property that we have. So, and you can see that the, the property needed to, to do with, the, you see here, the name Suleiman. You could buy a property only if there is a, another partner. That you, you could not have your own property, like you could not have your own house. You could not, so this is, was part of the deal. And this is, was the part that you can see here the name of my of my father. You can see here, mm-hmm. Shalom Derby. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah.
1: So those are the documents that are related to our property, but this is, I am only one case. So the, we needed to live in order to save our, our life, life first. So we came and uh, when we left, we become you can become a refugee from, from one day to another, from one hour to another, because your life is at risk. So you need to run away and save your life and suddenly you find yourself in another reality. At the beginning, you think it is temporary and then uh, it doesn't resolve and then happened the coup of Muammar Gaddafi. It happened when uh, King Idris was uh, taking care of his health and he was in Egypt. So Mm -hmm. he took advantage and he was a great fan of Nasser. So he wanted just to replicate the Nasser model, the dictator model. You know, in our country, if you have a monarchy, if you have a good king, everybody would feel good. And uh, because everything except also because the 1951 constitution, was the one who would respect the human rights. But it has also the demi rules. Uh, it was uh, about all the strangers. They are second class citizen. So okay. it's like it's not really accepting, but tolerating. It's not accepting, but tolerating. There are certain things that uh, they would uh, just uh, treat you not really with respect. But then after when you do business, uh, when you're a neighbor, when you you can become, I would say something that uh, i I never experienced uh, hatred or curse curse or something from from Libyan Muslim women. The women, I would say that they never express nothing against. actually they helped. So maybe because uh, they are more more accepting, more oh. they would not never encourage. Yeah, they would never encourage uh, anything like this. And in fact, when it happened in 2011 with the Arab Spring, the woman in Benghazi, 1,000 women went down on the street to protest because Gaddafi uh, yes. killed 1,000 people, that they are the men of those women. So I, I think the women were like, and the women now, they, I also work in the hospital with them and uh, they very much support the peace and the reconciliation. The problem are the, now the people who want to imitate the Gaddafi mentality. Everybody wants to be a little uh, leader there, because this is the moment. Now I put the head of the psychoanalyst. If the model of the father of the country is Nelson Mandela, so you create a country like South Africa. But if the model of the country or the father of the country is Muammar Gaddafi, you create a model of the people that everybody wants to be a leader at any cost. So
0: so injustice has become a prescription in in, in Libya.
1: Yes, yes. And injustice, but keep quiet. Don't speak up because in the moment that you speak up, you are at risk. There is a a fear of retaliation. So you need to share. And then the, the reason in Libya, the culture of silence, often you don't speak up because a, you embarrass the neighbor, don't, you don't speak up because it's a gossip, you don't speak up because what the neighbor will tell you, you don't speak mm-hmm. up because if you speak up, you become danger and then maybe they kidnap your child. They, they, so it's better to be mute and invisible. But there were many Libyan Jews who fought and who start to speak up, but only when they were, were outside. Because when you are there, the fear, like my father, may he rest in peace, he would uh, ac- accept verbal abuse against him and my mother, just uh, because he did not want it uh, it did not come from a place of fear, but from a place of love for the children and for the neighbor because if he would uh, react uh, someone else would pay so it was better to keep quiet and be mute and invisible i remember a friend of mine telling me that you were going out
0: you were the minority you you were the minority in 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 libya so it's understandable why your, your father would would prefer to keep quiet because as a minority i mean how much of leverage do you have to impact on a dictator um, you know, like Muammar Gaddafi, or in 1967, it was tense because uh, King Idris was on his way out, and then we had the Gaddafi revolution that was already, you know, taking place uh, on the ground. So it was, it was a difficult time, and it would be hard to actually expect a member of the minority in such a tense situation to take such exactly. a chance. It'd be better for you to, to run your business, keep quiet, live amongst yourself, and take precautions it was dangerous exactly.
1: yes yes
2: correct and that that correct. makes
0: sense you know i was listening to what you were saying and you, how you were describing the scene from your window watching the house the houses in flames going up in flames and a, a famous quotation came to my mind of nelson mandela i don't know if he's that famous but i picked it up in an interview that he did with oprah winfrey and when oprah was questioning his mentality around not being bitter and not being vengeful and wanting to move South Africa forward towards democracy, and he said to her, um, our emotions told us that the white minority is the enemy, but our brains told us that if we don't speak to this man, then our country will go up in flames. And that's the quotation that came to my mind when I pictured you standing at your window and watching this house go up in flames, and when I listen to you go on about this culture uh, of tyranny that's taking place and building up in Libya, when you are saying that Muammar Gaddafi or the people, you know, want to exemplify who he is, um, so it seems to me uh, that they that there was a clear lack of leadership. Or any kind of inspiration for Libya to uh, transform into a democratic nation, because yeah. true, true leaders, true leaders, visionary leaders like Nelson Mandela, who also was uh, clearly a victim of apartheid, he 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 was a man of reconciliation because he realized that if you follow the emotion, the country will go up in flames. Exactly and that emotion is the emotion of prejudice and hate. And when you start stereotyping people, and when you stop following the rational part of yourself, and also perhaps the soulful part that is guiding you towards leaving all that behind and breaking down those walls of prejudice.
1: I think that is correct what you say is that the strongest emotion that, that, that normally inflame the people is the anger and so the people get uh, angry and furious and this, uh, they start to burn and kill. What you talk about uh, not to follow the emotion, I think that uh, to follow the right emotion is important. Sure. Because
2: they,
1: if you follow, the, but you need to have, as you say, you need to have the consciousness. If you have a, a high consciousness like Nelson Mandela, he saw that he would go only by being reactive and non-proactive, then it will continue without ending. But uh, he had the power and the wisdom and the enlightenment from God to say, let's stop it. And I can stop it because I would not react. It's like play tennis. If one dropped the racket, so... mm, it doesn't continue. You need to be two in order to fight, but he did it not from a place of weakness or a place of victim. He did it from a place of wisdom and the higher power
0: to, he to prove. A, he had a consciousness of a leader. He was able to actually <clears throat> drop his <throat> own bitterness and resentment and anger because it was there. He was also just a human being. Exactly. And, exactly,
1: exactly. Yeah. But also,
2: saint,
0: he, like he also said, I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner who keeps trying. And that's another famous quotation of his. I'm, I'm not a saint, I'm a sinner who keeps trying. We have these qualities, you know, we, we we own all these traits. We own these emotions that we experience, but it's the consciousness of a leader and someone who holds himself accountable for the greater good of humanity that can actually put those emotions aside and choose a higher consciousness to lead not only himself forward, but whoever he is going to impact on, in a new direction.
1: Not only to put aside those emotions, I like that you say those emotions, but also he brought the foundation of the democracy by being inclusive. When he say I need to talk with the other men, it means I need to include. And not to exclude with Gaddafi, he excluded the Jews. Mm
2: -hmm. So
1: when you start to exclude minority in any country, those are the moment where the trouble starts. So the more minority you can include, the more democratic you are. And when you start
0: inciting people to act out of hate and anger, and that's exactly what took place when you say you were listening to, to the in- Egyptian radio. It seems to me, if you look back at history, the 1967 war was unavoidable, because we had Nasser, who was a belligerent leader, together with the, the other Arab countries, inciting other Arab countries to make war on Israel, and Israel had no choice but to preempt it to secure its own victory at the time. Um, and that means, from what you from what you're saying, I understand. Sadly, there was another war going on, and that was the war against Jews in Arab countries who had to flee for their lives at the time.
1: Exactly. Like Lebanon, like Egypt, like Syria, like Jordan, Libya, Tunisia, Morocco, Algeria. So infected all the area because it's like the Arab League was uh, with uh, with uh, nasser so because they disagree of this uh, division from Pal- for palestinian and for israel
0: so they wanted they, they wanted to conquer israel sadly they lost the war and they declared war on jews in arab countries
1: yeah they lost uh, the war
0: peaceful jewish <coughs> civilians like yourself
1: yes Yes, exactly. Like myself, like the rest of the Jewish community that, that were there, just uh, peaceful, just uh, weak, uh, without any army, nothing. So they took advantage by the majority against the minority. And mm-hmm. this is uh, the, just They just wanted to do this, but uh, he was lying by the radio, say we conquer Israel, we destroy, so now kill the Jew. So it also is... Also, the time of the Nazism, the Grand Mufti of uh, Palestinian, he encouraged to kill the Jew. He was with Hitler. He met him. So there is uh, this this kind of culture depends if you what you choose. You choose uh, what uh, did Man- Mandela, Nelson Mandela. He chose the, the most difficult path, the path of try to make a reconciliation like what Desmond Tutu did with the The truth and reconciliation or you choose the path of let's do war and revenge and Mm -hmm. so what the result the result it will be killing each other and uh, many family will be sad because uh, you would have widow you will have orphan you would have what what you gain at the end so this is only because uh, there are people i believe that the people they are sick because they have in their mind the tyranny of the mind that they dominate their mind. They have, we have in, I'm a psychoanalyst, Jungian psychoanalyst. We have our people that they are possessed by the role of the persecutor, the bully, since when they're a child, they need to dominate.
0: It's pathological.
1: Yes, it's pathological. We
0: we are all accountable. (laughs) We are all accountable. You know, regardless of what happened in history, we're all accountable for these pathological thoughts and we need to, Step out of it to choose, and it, it becomes a test in time. What are you choosing? Are you choosing to walk this path of hate and separation, regardless of what your political views are? You have to be accountable to choose the correct path for humanity. You have to put humanity up there, up front first, and you have to make those choices for humanity. Because if you choose, that you, yes, those you're going to be stuck. You're going to be stuck in the cycle of hate.
1: Exactly. And exactly. there's not we going say- to
0: be any progress that will come out of that.
1: We say in psychology we say insanity is keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So exactly. there is a, there is no hope in this but there is hope like what uh, happened with the Begin and Sadat, two countries they met, they decided, when they were sitting together, what we want to do. We want to see our nephew killing each other, and we are gone, or we want them to be together. So this is how, at the end, they signed. Israel gave back the Sinai. They accepted, and so it's finished. And uh, it was maybe not uh, the ideal peace, but it was no war. They would not kill each other. They would respect the border sometime it was also tourism and now there is an embassy in Egypt. You know, it's a long process. It takes a long, long process. And I think in the Arab culture, there is this kind of. Um, also, this is not, in my opinion, is not democratic in a sense that we all have to be in solidarity. I think the same thing as all the rest of the Arabs, one thought. But <laughs> if you see, this is impossible. It's not democracy. Like you look in Israel now, thousands, they go out on the street to protest against Netanyahu. They go against and protest very hard. They, so what does it mean? That the Jews are together? Or you look in the USA, you have a, you know the IPAC, who is a very important uh, group, uh, the lobby. And you have J Street, that is more left, that they go one each other against. Uh, so it's like in the uh, USA, you have uh, Biden, you have Trump, so they always must be a contradictory.
0: And that like is what I democracy say. is all about. It's about encouraging free yeah. speech it's encouraging, you know, dialogue so that we can engage. And if you're not happy, you go out and you can protest yeah. peacefully. You protest because that is also part of democracy is the right to hold protest, exactly. protest. Exactly. So coming back to Nelson Mandela, and it's very interesting, and I really want to make that point because he was a smart man, David, he was smart, he was political as well, he was politically savvy, and when he came to the conflict, and and, I mean, he had friendly relations with Libya, He's not an enemy, he did not regard uh, Muammar Gaddafi as an enemy. It was in a televised address, uh, a a televised interview rather, that took place um, in 1990 when he was questioned about his relations with Gaddafi and he was held accountable because people had brought up the issue of human rights abuse in Libya. And he was Israel's enemies is not necessarily going to be South Africa's enemies because whoever supported our cause are our friends and we will support them. However, when it comes to the issue of the conflict, his position was we recognize the Jewish state of Israel. However, we support the Palestinians who also have a right to self-determination. And also when it came to the issue of human rights uh, in Libya, human rights abuse, and um, his friendship with Gaddafi, he made it very clear that the Jews work within the ANC that South Africa will not follow the path that Libya has taken with regards to the Jewish community. And based on that, at first, Gaddafi did not allow the ANC to open up an office uh, in Libya, but Nelson Mandela was a man of value. He was smart, politically savvy. He supported the two-state solution. He was a man of reconciliation. He recognized, and South Africa still recognizes the state of Israel, but they support the Palestinian, uh, the Palestinians who also have aspirations to realize their own state. Yes. So that's what I'm yeah. saying. This is what democracy is all yeah. about. He did yeah. not isolate the Jewish community because Yasser Arafat was his friend and because he was a yeah. strong support of the Palestinian cause. He did not isolate them. Instead, he engaged with the Jewish community. He wanted to allay their fears. He wanted them to understand his position and support for yeah. Israel, despite the fact that his affiliation with Palestine was much stronger because of the mutual struggle between the Palestinians and South Africans. So that, that is a man of leadership and that is a man of vision. I want to talk about your making peace with Gaddafi. So you had an aunt who was the only Jew that was left in Libya and who returned from Libya in 2003. Now there are no Jews that live in Libya. And you've made several trips to Libya. But I want you to share with us the little story of your initiative to make peace with Gaddafi while he was still alive. And that journey that involved your late aunt, who sadly passed away 40 days after her reunion with your family. So I think it was God's will. I wanna understand that. I want our viewers to understand that because I read your book. I understand that part of your journey.
1: So how all this start? Very strange. I was going to the gastroenterologist in Rome to have a, a, the thyroid to check my health. My mother suffered with thyroid. I went out from this medical and I stopped in the coffee shop called Cyprus Coffee. convalazione Claudia, I remember the address. Suddenly, I drink this coffee and see the television. It was uh, September 11, 2001. Mm -hmm. The Twin Tower. Till now I have a goosebumps. Say, what's happened Mm -hmm. here? I say, I couldn't believe. I couldn't believe. In that moment, I say to myself, I made a promise. I need to do something to prove that it's possible to do in another way not by killing and destroying, but by dialogue. Then I came back in shock and I say, I'm going to write my story. And it was my first, my first book. And the story, I took one year off from my work and I went in California in a place is called Esalen Institute. And I decided to write my first book. Once I was there and I took out everything, the story that I'm telling you now, so it's, it was exactly like 19 years ago, and uh, I wrote a book very fast, and I also study with people who know how to write and been teaching me. I met people there, and then they told me, well, a Senator Vasconcelos in California, he told me, well, you can write a letter to Gaddafi and ask him to go and and visit there, your roots, maybe he can give you as a humanitarian uh, visa, say, well, I can try. When I come back to Rome, my cousin Eric, he get married and in the when I was in the table, my mother say, look, I receive, I need to renew my passport, but I need the birth certificate, which is in Libya. So my uncle told me, oh, you should write them to the embassy, the Italian embassy to get a birth certificate. My mother name is uh, Debash Dina, may she rest in peace. And uh, when I asked the birth certificate, the Italian embassy answered to me, is, we will happy to give you, but we have a question. There is here in a hospice a, name, a lady, her name is debash Rina with R. Mm-hmm. My mother is with D and say, maybe there is any connection. Those, this lady doesn't talk with no one. And we don't know. We only know that she's Jewish. Then uh, my mother said wow she's still alive and this was my aunt and everybody thought that she was dead but she stayed there with another seven brother and sister because they get so much gold and silver under the floor of their apartment that they didn't want to leave it they want to keep it and protect it in order for them to save what the father that his name of the father was the king of gold and silver the king of gold and silver. So then one day she fell down the street. She went to the hospital. They they told her, well, you maybe should stay. They should say, no, no, I want to go home. I have something to protect. And 80 years old, then she they discover and they put their, her in the hospice. Then I asked if I could go as a psychologist to visit her. They told me, of course, right to Gaddafi. And then a lot of meaningful coincidence, as you say, God was putting me as a puppet in touch. And I'm happy to be a puppet yeah. of God, only a puppet of God, no puppet of anyone. So I was happy to do this. And suddenly all the things fall apart. I went there and in exchange by talking with the head of the national security and the ambassador, he was Musa Kusa. Uh, and it was Hafed Gadur, he said, okay, if you want to, I see that you're writing a book of peace, if you want to please uh, help us uh, to normalize the relationship uh, with the Libya, we need uh, a connection with America, and uh, we can meet in Rome, or we can meet in, uh, in London, where you want. So I came back to Rome after I met my aunt, it was very moving to meet her, suddenly she came out from a coma, when I show her this, Here, there is a name of God, there is a small star of David. I took this. My mother told me, uh, no, don't bring this with you because it is a star of David. If they see the star of David is danger. But I put it in my pocket. I put this on the, her neck because she was stay all the time like this. And then she woke up and she told me in Arabic, Shaha for Kapchi, what did you put on my neck? So they start to talk and I say, I am the son of Dina. And then she said, Is your mother the one who has the nose a little bit uh, mm-hmm. on the, a little bit like a potato? But, mm-hmm. So then she started to laugh and the medical doctor, the bodyguard, the nurse, they were all out. So when they came and found that she finally spoke, they said, this is a miracle. What's happened? And then she said, I'm coming with you now. I'm living here. So mm-hmm. then he started all the process of 13 months. I went to, and in a risky time, because uh, next to uh, Saddam Hussein was Gaddafi in the list of terrorist country. So it was in a hurry. They told me Italian embassy, the Italian ambassador and the Italian consul told me, you should go now. And the chief rabbi of Rome, Rabbi Eliyotov, may he rest in peace, the one who met the Pope, the first one, he told me, if you want peace, so, you can help to make peace. This is why it came the name making peace with Gaddafi, because I had uh, this. And then he sent me immediately in October 2002, because I was uh, in that visit from 5th of September till 12th of September, 2002. I went and stayed three months in USA and finally got the guided my steps and I found uh, the congressman office where his name is Tom Lantos. Then he, decided to meet with Gaddafi because to normalize the relationship because of what happened in 1988 with the terror attack in Lockerbie that many people died. So, mm-hmm. and uh, Gaddafi wanted to normalize the relationship by giving compensation to the family that lost uh, their dear one. So this is, was the deal. And then he say, okay, you do this and they will help you with your aunt. It's like, they tried with another woman before my aunt Esmeralda, but uh, didn't go. But uh, then what happened with me, with so many coincidences, then this is happened, and really long, long negotiation, thanks God, then I succeed to bring her in Rome, and then uh, I think she wanted, she told me, I don't want to stay here, I want to bury, to be buried in a Jewish cemetery, since... uh, Gaddafi destroyed the Jewish cemetery, so we didn't have any more where to bury her in a Muslim cemetery, but we didn't want, we didn't want to, to, to live there, and then after 40 days she, she met us, and uh, she died, and now she is buried in, uh, in Israel, in a grave in a place is called uh, Yankunim near Petah Tikva, near, near Tel Aviv. And uh, they put on the grave. Also, I was impressed when I found it. This was like the last Jew of Libya, Rina de Bashe, eh, brought by his son, by his uh, na- uh, family member, David Jerby. So it was very impressive to see my name written in a grave. So, you know, normally...
0: Let's take a look at this video. Uh, this is the video that uh, David made when his aunt, the last Jew of Libya, Rina Debash, arrived in Italy. And here she is at the airport in a joyous reunion with her family.
1: My mother and my aunt were there. Also the rest cousins.
2: <laughs> Tra i tanti agli arrivi internazionali, due signore che viaggia con un ritardo enorme, ma non è
0: colpa dell'aereo. Io me la raccontavo 40 anni fa, dal 67 che siamo qui e non l'ho vista più. Noi credevamo completamente fosse morta.
2: E invece eccola qui, dopo 36 anni, Rina De Basch. L'ultima ebrea di Tripoli, ritrovata in una casa di riposo per un casuale disguido burocratico. Adesso, dopo una lunga trattativa con le autorità libiche, è arrivata a Roma un po' frastornata, dove ritrova parenti ormai vecchi e nipoti con i capelli brizzolati. 2000 dinari, 2000 dinari pa, Wadi Neri, Neri,
0: molto bello. Neri, molto bello. Al suo lecento, che è una scenda. è diventata così?
2: Ora è partita anche l'ultima ebrea di Tripoli. Rina Debash è in Italia, Apolide, come recitano i suoi documenti. La storia del suo viaggio incomprensibilmente lungo. Fa riaffiorare un passato ancora molto presente. Come Rina de Bache oggi, anche allora gli ebrei hanno lasciato tutto a Tripoli: case, sinagoghe e tutti i loro beni, poi confiscati dal colonnello Gheddafi e non ancora restituiti. Io sono più bella di chissà che foto simili non si possono fare in futuro anche a Tripoli